I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty gritty, so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... The Flat Earth Theory. What is the Flat Earth Theory? Well, it's an age-old method of interpreting reality. Established during the 4th century BC, it supposes that the Earth is... Well, a flat disk rotating in space, and that we, Earth, are at the center of the universe. Both of these outdated superstitions have been repeatedly disproven over the ensuing millennia. However, due to a rise in distrust for established institutions, a conspiratorial approach to interpreting rational thought, and a legion of YouTube ignorance peddlers, this theory has returned. As far as the eyes can lie. You're looking out over a plane. You see it stretching out before you. You don't see anything that would resemble a curve. So you assume that the Earth is flat. Because you exist in a time when information and education and mathematics and the scientific fucking method haven't been invented yet. You're from the goddamn Stone Age. You're a caveman. And your biggest concern is how you're going to kill the woolly mammoth so your weird tribe of cave dude homies can eat for the next chunk of time. Hate to break it to you, cave dude, but the earth is not actually flat, as your eyes would immediately tell you. It's actually spherical. The earth has existed for roughly 4.543 billion years. And the entire time it's been here, it's been a spherical hunk of dirt rocketing through the cosmos. Despite what regressive religious leaders and anti-science nutjobs would have you believe, it sure as fuck ain't flat. Some of the earliest depictions from Sumerian and Babylonian cultures would beg to differ though. They present it as a flat disk with a snow globe-like covering protecting it. Which is oddly similar to what the growing flat earth movement of today insists is actually happening. It was thought that small holes were punctured in this covering so that we could see the lights of heaven. Egyptians believed a similar thing for a time. The Bible also believed the earth was flat. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22 states, He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them like a tent to live in. Job chapter 28, verse 24. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Job chapter 26, verse 10. He marks out the horizon of the face of the waters for a boundary between light and darkness. Revelations. I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or the sea or on any tree. So, you know, that should be a dead giveaway right there. If the Bible, a 2,000 year old book, is saying the earth is literally flat, Maybe it's time to take a closer look. Maybe? Just an idea. Copernicus created the template for what we know today as what the world looks like. Among the Greeks, it was suggested that Pythagoras was the first to posit the assertion that the Earth was spherical in nature. He was born around 570 BC. He was a philosopher and a mathematician. He also had a banger of a ZZ Top beard, if ancient depictions are to be believed. And his... I really 
I really theorem just I, wasn't too shabby either. No, it really wasn't. A big fan of his theorem. Big fan. Got all of his theorems early records. Mostly a fan of his sartorial efforts, though. I love that Pythagoras and a lot of his homies were all about comfort and statements ensembles you know robes togas um sweater vests huge fan huge fan of the toga with a sweater vest on top of it look love his zz top beard i i cannot overstate this enough that old philosopher beards are something i'm very interested in i love i love old philosopher beards i feel like if i could grow a giant fuck off beard i would I wouldn't change anything else about the way I comport myself and dress, though. I just would love to have, like, a, a crazy fucking Merlin wizard beard just for the fuck of it. Yeah, old, old philosophers look like they're in 2005 and really into Chiodos. <laughs> yeah, like, right after Pythagoras was like, I've got this idea for a theorem. He immediately was like, I'm going to go on LimeWire and download this new Deftone Records. Yep. Deftone records? Plural? No, just the new Deftone record. I mean, they had more. They weren't fucking neutral milk hotel. They had multiple, <laughs> multiple That's records. That's true, they did. They just came out with a new record, actually. It literally just came out with a new album. I haven't paid attention to, like, them or Chevelle or any of those kind of, like, new, rocky, rappy dude bro bands basically since then. Like, I had a couple of the early I Deftones records. I highly doubt that Chevelle is still going. I, I really don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. I, I don't even know if I ever really listened to them. I'm just aware that they're like kind of in the same scene as like yeah, Chevelle just, and all those guys. Yeah. I mean, Deftones had a following and multiple liked records, but Chevelle had so lay down. The thread is real. And the sound goes red again. Sing red again. Sing red again. The funny thing is that song, actually every lyrical stanza in that song is an anagram for the earth is flat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were actually, they were the originators of the flat earth. Yeah, Chevelle, Chevelle, Chevelle itself is actually an anagram for wake up sheeple in parentheses, do your own research. Yeah. There's a lot of silent letters in that band name. Yeah, well, it's it's actually like if you break apart the individual letters and then reform them to make other letters. Then oh, that every happens. letter is made of like tiny, smaller letters. So if you look really close with like with one of those little diamond magnifying glasses, it's just little tiny letters made into a special font. Yeah, that's definitely cheating in the world of anagrams. I'm gonna say. <laughs> Well, that's because you're not, um, you know, a hardcore Chevelleite like me. You know, I come from the, the, the long lineage of Chevellian flat earthists. You know, uh, you know, there, there are the Mark Sargent flat earthists. There are, you know, old school, you know, fucking 500 BC flat earthists. And then the new incarnation are Chevellian flat earthists who are going back and learning from the the teachings of the band Chevelle that I couldn't name a single song or a member of. Yeah, as as a follower of the Deftonian philosophy of thinking, we actually believe that the Earth is so round it's actually inside out. I will agree to disagree. Um, I respect your beliefs. I respect you as a person, but I do think that you have very bad taste 
and that you're easily swayed and ignorant and kind of stupid because only someone like that would denounce the empirical truth of the Chevalian flat earthist theory. And I won't agree to disagree. And the only thing I have to say is shove it. <laughs> is that a reference to Deftones? I don't even know. Yep. All the Deftonians at home will understand what I meant. And also, I, I don't feel strongly enough about it to fight you on it. I feel like it's doing Deftones a little bit of a disservice to put them in the same category as Chevelle. I fully admit I'm completely ignorant as to the special brand of new metal where everyone has a chin strap and eyebrow piercing and gels their hair straight up and puts one streak of uh, bleached blonde uh, pigment in it. That is That is about my level of knowledge of these bands i mean is that are you just describing me right now <laughs> you just described you showed, me to a t you... plato would teach his idea to his school in athens plato if you're wondering was also a member of the why yes i will smuggle knives in my beard hair club for men <laughs> that joke is way funnier if you're looking at this photo that we are where he also has a crazy fucking beard i mean for sure i mean this de this dude is definitely a deftonian <laughs> Yeah, yeah. there is no chin strap here. These are chin pants. He's like full on like a chin overall. I 100% work with this guy at Target. And he <laughs> and, and he definitely was like, yo, you hear the new Atreyu album? <laughs> yeah, I worked at this guy at the bowl and he was there to see the uh, the Fitch reunion tour. Finch? Is it Fitch? Finch? Finch. Finch. Yeah. Finch. yeah. Sorry, I don't even know enough about these bands to get the fucking names right. <laughs> Do you think all of these philosophers, like, you know, the, the the classic, you know, sculptures of them, like with one hand in the air looking regal and filled with gravitas wearing togas, you think underneath that they have like skinny jeans with two belts? Plato is about to speak. Everybody silence. <clears throat> Till the day I die, <laughs> I spill my heart for you. Is that what 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 is that band? Is that Shadows? Fuck! What's that fucking emo band? Oh God! I, uh, I, think, I think that saves the day. Si no, I feel like that's isn't that um isn't that uh story of the year? I think story, story of, the of the year. year. Yes, yes. So oh it's, man, it is story of the year. See, so fourteen year old Davy Bakes loved story of the year till loved. the day Spill my heart for you. From there, this idea that the Earth was not flat would get carried across the globe with the Romans as they conquered and colonized the known world, despite causing the deaths of many philosophers like Giordano Bruno, who believed that the universe might be infinite and that there were other solar systems, and was burned at the stake for his heretical views, the idea became more commonly accepted, and ignorant assholes stopped murdering each other over the idea that the Earth was flat. This idea starts to take on some steam, just slightly. And thanks to experiments like Eratosthenes and his measuring of shadows simultaneously and using a trigonometric equation to deduce the size of the Earth and its shape. So as humans became more educated, beliefs and antiquated ideas and superstitions became supplanted by logic, science, and okay, there were still some crazy-ass religious weirdos out there, but you know, over the arc of history, this whole Earth being flat thing stopped being something we actively debated. It was something that we all just kind of accepted, more or less. And then... The internet happened and fundamentally warped humanity. Do, 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 do. Demon humming songs that he only knows from his planet that humans don't recognize. Oh, hey, Dave. Uh, do you by any chance happen to have any more of those uh, 
pixie box book things that you make or whatever. Hey, Hilsmer, uh, you mean comics? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Uh, well, I don't have any with me right now, but I do have two new comic book series that are starting up. Uh, I wrote a Star Trek series, Star Trek Voyager 7's Reckoning, which comes out November 11th. And the way the comic book industry works is that you have to pre-order comics in order to make sure that the stores order enough. If you wanted to pre-order it, you would go to a comic book store or go online and use the code SEP200455. I also have a Create Your Own series coming out November 25th called Night Hunters with artist Alexis Zirit, which is about two brothers in Grand Caracas, 100 years in the future, one of which becomes a cop, one of which becomes a drug dealer, and they have to fight their way through the seedy underbelly of the dystopian Venezuelan police state, which you could pre-order with the code SEP201264. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great, 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 great. Cool, cool, cool. That uh, sounds amazing. Love it. Love everything that every word that you just said. Uh, I'll, I'll take whatever. 50. Really? Wow. I didn't know. Uh, I didn't know you read comics, Hilsmer. Oh, you're supposed to read them. There's a thing about space demons where when it's the summertime, we actually get very cold instead of hot. So I was actually just looking for some kind of kindling for the fire in the living room. Oh, that explains what that bonfire was. That was a sex thing. Act 2. A smugness that only someone who's wrong can possess. The free-flowing exchange of information is undoubtedly the greatest achievement humanity has produced. However, in a quintessentially human turn, our global cultural pinnacle very well might be our undoing. Since 95, people have spent more and more time online. In 2005, the globe had a population of 6.5 billion, 16% of which had access to the internet. 51% of those users were in the developed world. By 2019, the world's population had ballooned to 7.75 billion and 86.6% regularly used the internet. As the internet usage became more of a norm, the invention of social media manifested. Common definitions include Social media are interactive web 2.0 internet-based applications. User-generated content such as text posts or comments, digital photos or videos, and data generated through all online interactions is the lifeblood of social media. Users create service-specific profiles for the website or app that are designed and maintained by the social media organization. Social media facilitate the development of online social networks by connecting the user's profile with those of other individuals or groups. That's a really dry, clinical way of describing a mind cancer machine. Yeah, pretty much. But it is, I mean, it is a mind cancer, but it's also like kind of a dream scenario, right? Where you could, you get to be connected to everyone that you care about. And there's, there's, there's social components of it where you're forced to interact with people that you don't want to. But in the platonic ideal of what social media is, you are literally congregating your friends, to use the common parlance of the medium that we're discussing, and you're always interacting with them, which is ideally what you would like to do with friends. However, because we're people and we're constantly filled with dualities, that's not really how it works. The fundamental difference is back in the early 2000s, there was that internet transhumanist movement who had basically predicted that in 20 years, the internet was going to facilitate the world becoming a transhuman utopia. Recently, that group has come out and said, 
we were fucking wrong. We're so sorry. And I think the, the reason for that is because what you just described as the platonic ideal of what social media is within that platonic ideal, that's exactly what probably would happen. But the thing that wasn't anticipated by the internet transhumanist movement, and I just think in general, anybody's vision for what social media was going to become, nobody factored in the idea that as social media became... It's a self-perpetuating exponential toxicity where as social media becomes bigger and bigger and more predominant in our lives and more popular and dominates more of our time and these sort of monolithic companies spring up and become very powerful and very popular for the platform that they provide. It always happens. Everyone, you know, the reason why everyone migrated from MySpace to Facebook was because MySpace was inundated with ads towards the end of its life. And everyone went to Facebook because it was cleaner. It didn't have a bunch of ads on it. And it felt more like a genuine interaction with your friends as opposed to what MySpace had become where you were just getting ads shoved at you all the time. And now, you know, that's laughable to even say that people went to Facebook because there was no ads because Facebook is the largest digital marketing platform in the world. Every time where like some new social media platform comes out and it goes viral for a couple weeks or whatever, the one that I, that comes to the top of my head is back in like 2015 or so, there was a new social media platform that was Ello and it was supposed to be like Facebook, but without the algorithm or the ads, it's just a chronological timeline of your friends' posts. Everyone's like, oh, you know, we're going to go to Ello or whatever. And, you know, inevitably it doesn't catch on and it goes away because Facebook somehow were able to trip up the cycle and they got so big and powerful that they're too big to fail at this point. They stopped that cycle of that was happening where like one platform would be replaced by another. And there was this wave of popularity where one thing would get big and then die. Facebook planted roots. But even if people did migrate to Ello, it would just become the same thing. It would, in a year from now, Ello would just be Facebook. It's like a, it's like a cycle that people don't realize that they're in because as these platforms get bigger, they inevitably have to start figuring out how to pay the bills and make money. They're they're going to eventually be like, how do we monetize this? So the thing that those, you know, the transhuman the internet transhumanists didn't factor in was that this thing that was supposed to become this utopia of unlimited and infinite connectivity with everybody across the globe would be co-opted by a digital marketing platform that would then develop an algorithm that was designed to efficiently serve content to eyeballs in the most maximized profitability way possible. And that algorithm, as it continued to be developed and it continued to learn and grow and become more efficient at serving that advertising to eyeballs, it accidentally became this delivery system for confirming people's biases systematically. You you see one thing and the algorithm just keeps feeding you further and further to the fringes of that thing that you saw. And it just radicalizes you into whatever polar extreme you were leaning towards because of that very fact, as opposed to bringing us together. It's just divided us completely because everybody is being dragged to the far extremes of the slightest leaning that they have in any direction. I want to make a joke. I want to say something pithy, but <sighs> it's really easy to see in the wild. 
you can really see the way that these algorithms work and how they do this. Maybe it's so obvious to me because I work in this industry and I've been doing it for like almost a decade and it's my job to understand algorithms and things. But to me, it seems very obvious. I Sometimes I, I witness these things and I'm like, man, I can only imagine how this is affecting somebody who's more gullible or less informed about these kind of things than I am. You know, it, it happens a lot where I'll be on YouTube and I'll stumble across a video that is not something that I endorse or I'm into. I just maybe watch a couple seconds of it out of morbid curiosity. And so, you know, you click on a video of like, you see something and you're like, what the fuck? Like somebody's saying this? And you click on it because you just want to see what this person is saying or what this thing is. And then you go back to your home screen and suddenly there's like 10 videos of that thing, whatever that point is or whatever that opinion is or whatever it is. There's like 10 videos that are it's being suggested to you and they get more and more extreme of what that original thing was. You might you might have seen somebody a video of somebody reacting to like crazy flat earth people. And then you go back to your home screen and then suddenly you have 10 videos of like their 30 minute documentaries about how the earth is flat or whatever. Oh man, you won't even believe what my YouTube homepage is now that after I did most of the research and both Facebook and YouTube now are just like, hey, you want to you wanna learn some more stuff about flat earth? You want to see some flat earth stuff? Hey, have you noticed flat earth? It's so depressing. It's so depressing. Yeah. I mean, that mine goes through cycles of from the different researches of writing things that we do or... You know, I'm 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 still in the throes of a like the Chrissy Hanhans yeah, like, tunnel. Yeah, they're just a, yeah, I'm, I'm deep in the Chris hole. To put it simply, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, MySpace, Friendster, and a legion of other sites you've already forgotten about. From here, these social media sites became obsessed with replicating real life experiences in a digital space connecting people in ways they never even dreamed of. One of the unforeseen aspects of this turn into the digitization of life online was the gamification of individuality. Subcultures and cliques formed over fascinations with bizarre interests, some genuinely so, others as a performative means by which to distinguish themselves from their fellow usernames. Additionally, as this digital colonization of life marched ever forward, the old ways information and celebrity were accrued became eroded. Sure, you still had movie stars, but none of them seemed quite as big quite as bright or quite as interesting. Now you have 16-year-olds who have double the following of George Clooney. Is that a good or a bad thing? It's just different. Our culture works differently now. Ain't no uh, five foot eight Austrian bodybuilders gonna be starring as a lovable dad in a action comedy in, in this day and age. Now it's just Charlie from TikTok. She's gonna play every role now. Look, I'm just saying Sophia Diamond, if she's starring in the new Fast and Furious movie, I'm gonna go see it. Sophia Diamond, is Dominic Toretto. Sophia Diamond is Paul Walker. Sophia Diamond is Ludacris. And also Ja Rule, who was in the third was one. A, yeah, and, he, and then he, like, he turned down being in the next one, and he regrets it to this day. Baby, baby, please let me come drive a car for you. <laughs> that, was, that was what he left on the voicemail of the director. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the it's not even the director man you know it's vin diesel he's like vinny vinny please let me get out of this fire festival fuck up i'm trying to be in the fast and furious it always cracks me up that they never let that lucas black kid back into the franchise he was the protagonist of part three and then there's that setup at the end of the movie where he's gonna like join the team then they made three movies that are prequels leading up to him joining the team and then they finally get the, to the movie where he's going to be on the team of superhero race car driver guys. 
and he's in one scene. He was like, Ja Rule, give me some advice. How do I get them to put me back into the franchise? And he's like, listen, you just got to call up on their voicemail and sing a song asking them to, to take you back. It'll work. I promise. He gets on the phone. We are, we are sorry. Please put me in the rest of these movies. Vin Diesel was like, that was an interesting choice of a song. I mean, if I was if I was going to go P.O.D., definitely. There, there are other. Oh, hits. I feel so alive. I just want back in the franchise. See, I was like, it, I never left. It was right there on the table for him and he left it. I like the whole calling on the answering machine thing. And singing, I like that, but he has bad instincts. I can't bring this guy back. Also, I need to just state for the record, this is the third P.O.D. reference on the podcast, and I'm really excited about it. At this point, it's kind of just a life goal to get any of those guys from payable upon death to be a guest on our show. Couldn't tell you any of the names, couldn't tell you any of the songs other than those two, but... I don't know any of their names, but I do know that the lead singer's daughter is named Nevaeh which is heaven spelled backwards. And I learned that from the POD episode of Cribs. Love it. Into it. Excited about it. I support it. The main thing that older people rail against when these topics are brought up in the... This, <laughs> this, this episode, this episode, uh, normally our banter wants, is somewhat tied It wants to, to be an episode about early 2000s rock. It's like it's the episode has become sentient and it's like, no, I'm not a flat earth episode. I'm I'm an episode about nostalgic music that you both listened to, but half remember. The main thing that older people rail against when these topics are brought up is the dissolution of monoculture. Monoculture being the reason why we know all of these bands and the lyrics to their music. Music used to be better when I was young. Don't disagree. No. (laughs) No, don't you fucking change the meaning. Till the meaning. day I die. Digga, da, 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 digga. No. Is there anything no. like that today? Is there anything like that? I challenge you I to present think, me with anything to be any- that... Till the day I die. Digga, digga, da, da, digga, digga. They retired palm muting after that song. They didn't do it again. It ended. <laughs> I hate... The idea that things were better back then and things now suck. Dave, it's a till the day I die. Ticka, 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 ticka. The main thing older people rail against when these topics are brought up is the dissolution of monoculture. Music used to be better when I was young. No, that's not true. It's just music used to come to you, and now you have to seek it out. Movies used to be better back when. They had more personality. They had something to say. No, there's cool indie film being made right now. They just aren't distributed in the way that they used to be. Because of the digital fiefdoms that have popped up that care about them have cannibalized the previously existing levers of power. This digital animalization has taken over almost every aspect of life. And the funniest aspect, and the bleakest of this, is that the early online click culture has now transferred itself into mainstream culture. We currently live in a world that is suffering from the fandomization of everything. For those who weren't around in the early days of the message board communities, the X-Files fandom, which was one of the earlier to really organize, had viciously opposed nativist tribes, shippers, people who wanted Mulder and Scully to get together, and who didn't want them to? Yeah, and, and th- there's another group in there, too. It, there was, like, people who, basically, they're shippers who wanted Mulder and Scully to get together, and then there were, like... I don't remember the name of them now, but like proceduralers who just wanted them to be friends and they just wanted them to be straight cops and for there to be no romantic subplot or tension in between the two of them throughout the show. And that like 
was a big thing in early X-Files online fandom. Comic book forums had the equivalence where there were people who loved Maggot. Remember him from the X-Men? Maggot is awful. Maggot's a character from the 90s whose mutation is that his small intestine grew outside of his body and turned into two giant maggots. And so his mutation is that he has two maggots outside of his body and he eats through those maggots. That, yeah, that just sounds like a, a debilitating birth defect. People who loved Harry Potter and would write fan fiction about the characters delving into gangbangs. That was that's a big one, man. There's so much weird slash fiction from the early days of internet forum stuff. Oh man. These groups couldn't be reasoned with. All their opinions stemmed directly from emotions and they incorporated those opinions into their personalities. They were just people who loved Lord of the Rings. They were Bilbo334 legs on the OneRing.net. Every moment of their waking life was just the bullshit you had to do in order to get back to your true form. And that's how we live now. Political factions performatively claiming falsehoods as a means of asserting their identities. And this has bled over into the rise of conspiracy theories like Pizzagate, QAnon, and Flat Earth. We are suffering from a global Dunning-Kruger effect. If you're unaware, the Dunning-Kruger effect is a term that was derived from a psychological study that was conducted in 1999 titled unskilled and unaware of it. How difficulties in recognizing one's own incompetence leads to inflated self-assessments. It basically means the less you know about something, the more you're likely to think of yourself as an expert in it after only a cursory level of examination. Basically the opposite of the imposter syndrome. I wanted to read this really quick, um, just as like sort of like a, like a companion piece to that idea. This is a, a study that was done. I mean, there's a bunch of different studies that were done on this subject. You can find these studies if you know if you want to look further into it and not just take my word for it reading the summary, but do your own research. Yeah. Do, 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 your, do your own research. And I, I'll put some of these, these journals in the show notes so you can check them out. But this was, uh, this particular one was done at the University of Oxford in 2014. And this is this is almost kind of like the flip side of this idea of the Dunning-Kruger effect. These studies that have been conducted that essentially have found that there is a pretty solid causal link between intelligence and trust. And the idea is people who are more intelligent tend to be more trusting, which is kind of the opposite of what the narrative of conspiracy theories is. The cornerstone of conspiracy theory is that if you're smart, you don't trust anything. And it's this idea of like, they're lying to you and you know, you're not a sheep. You're seeing clearer than other people. And because you're smarter, you're not trusting what any of these people that are lying to you are saying. But these studies basically conclude the opposite, which is people with higher intelligence are more trusting because they have a better emotionally intelligent understanding of any given situation. So they're essentially better judges of character. They're better at reading signals and signs and body language and microaggressions. And they're better able to grasp the truth of a moment and read between the lines and are very good at assessing whether somebody is trustworthy or not. Whereas less intelligent people do not possess any of those skills. And so in the fog of not being able to grasp macro context, they default to, I don't trust anything because I don't understand the situation. Intelligent people are more likely to trust others, while those who score lower on measures of intelligence are less likely to do so, says a new study. Oxford University researchers based their findings on an analysis of the General Social Survey, a nationally representative public opinion survey carried out in the United States every one or two years. The authors say one explanation could be that more intelligent individuals are better at judging character 
And so they tend to form relationships with people who are less likely to betray them. Another reason could be that smarter individuals are better at weighing up situations, recognizing when there is a strong incentive for the other person not to meet their side of the deal. The study published in the journal PLOS One supports previous research that analyzed data on trust and intelligence from European countries. In addition, research shows that individuals who trust others report better health and greater happiness. The Oxford researchers found, however, that the links between trust and health and between trust and happiness are not explained by intelligence. For example, individuals who trust others might have only reported better health and greater happiness because they were more intelligent. This turns out not to be the case. The finding confirms that trust is a valuable resource for an individual and is not simply a proxy for intelligence. This is a key element of this conspiracy theory thing that I think kind of gets left out of the d discussion because I, I don't think these studies are well known. These things have been talked about a lot. You know, people who are unhappy in their lives, they want to believe that there's something specific that is making them unhappy because it makes them feel more in control than feeling like their lives are bad because of just random circumstances. People cling to these conspiracy theories whenever they, in an increasingly complicated world where they don't understand anything about their reality, these ways of forming random circumstances and chaotic events into patterns that make more sense. But then there's also this other thing that I think, you know, doesn't get talked about a lot is these people just lack the ability to trust because they inherently don't have these skills of reading body language. And so in that sort of shroud, they default to going to these conspiracy theories and believing in them because they're making sense of things for them. All this describes the protagonists of the little adventure we're going to go on pretty well. The grandfather of the modern day flat earth movement, Mark Sargent. You could sum him up pretty well with the phrase, artificially inflated sense of superiority. He's that moderately smart kid in the back of class who scoffs whenever somebody gets a question wrong. Born on South Whidbey Island in Washington State, Mark had an idyllic upbringing. Safe, simple, quiet. But his soul was restless. Not restless enough to get tattoos and move to the big city and start a rock band though. More like restless in a board shorts and black t-shirts that say, Flat Earth Army or I'm Mark Sargent on them kind of way. So how does someone become the impresario of ignorance? The dawn of the dolts? the king of do your own research, man. We'll get to that, but first it's more important to know that Mark initially made a living as a video pinball champion. Yeah, he was a literal ringer. He would go to video game conventions and make the game look really fun and cool. That was how my, my career started out. I was a sous chef at a Mediterranean restaurant in Seattle and I won a pinball, uh, a computer pinball tur tournament back in, oh wow, 94, long, long time ago, uh, by a little company out of Tokyo called Little Wing and the producer out of Boulder, Colorado afterwards hired me as a ringer. So I traveled across the country. <laughs> you were a pinball ringer. I, well, just video game ringer in general. I just played whatever games they had, and I went to like, you know, Macworld and San Fran and Macworld and Boston and E3 and stuff like that and made the games look better than they were. And that's how I started out. You made games look better than they were. Yes. So if I'm hearing you correctly, this planted one of many seeds in which you realized there are hidden forces at work <laughs> pulling the wool over people's eyes. Yes. And you were part of a conspiracy. Yes, I was. I was part of a pinball conspiracy, a video game conspiracy, as it were. I love the nervous laugh that he gives to that thing that he says right there, where you can tell that he's in his mind, he's like, you're making me sound like a fucking asshole. Like you're <laughs> you're comparing my life's work to like this dumb little like 
odd job I had in my 20s. It's so weird, like, the background that these people that are kind of fringe pseudo-celebrities in these conspiracy theory movements have. Like, they come from all, like, some of them are really normal ass, like, you know, I was a construction worker, and then I saw an alien, and now I'm the head of the alien departments. And then sometimes it's shit like this where, like, he literally was so good at video pinball. And sometimes it's like, I was the lead singer of a massively popular rock band, and then I saw an alien, and now I'm the head of the alien departments. It's so true. All the small things. He was always interested in computers and technology. Being an early adopter, he graduated college with a business administration degree. You're probably thinking to yourself, what a strange person. Seems like a normal childhood. What led him down this path? Sergeant rather simply sums up his character motivation. Where did you where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Seattle? I grew up north of Seattle. If anyone knows the Seattle area up in the United States, uh, a little rural island called Whidbey. W-H-I-D-B-E-Y. Very hard to get in trouble on Whidbey. Short of throwing rocks at cop cars, it was extremely tough to get in trouble. Did you throw rocks at cop cars? No, no, but we thought about it a lot. Mark Sargent would go on to become a figurehead for this Flat Earth movement. There were some notable people before him, like Math Powerland. Powerland? Yeah, I think it's Math Powerland. Yeah, he... It's a great name. (laughs) Too bad Math Powerland sucks. Yep. Powers Booth should kill Play Math. math he Powerland. should kill Math Powerland and then gift his name to a better person. Yeah. He he's like Actually, I think Powers Booth is dead. He is dead. But that's okay. We're talking about a world that's flat, so he can probably just be resurrected from the nether sphere underneath us. Mm-hmm. Yep. He can be brought back into the void by tapping four mana. Yeah, Math <laughs> Math Powerland is like the cartoon of like the 80s conspiracy theorist where like you know our boy uh our boy mark Sargent, i think has had some level of success peddling this ignorance because he seems like a normal person and uses pseudoscience and kind of jargonistic terminology in order to like solidify and validify his his bizarre claims whereas math powerland is the guy that's literally in the corner with like the end is nigh cardboard sign screaming about how the earth is flat and the cia is tapping his brain but i guess you need to start there so you can then get to the slightly more digestible crazy right a gateway maniac yeah and then there's another guy that's you know in the same group of people is the dude mike hughes who was the the dude who had the most predictable end of his story that anybody could have seen coming and did. Yeah, basically, if you're if you're unaware, Mike Hughes was a guy in, I believe, Texas, who was so convinced that the Earth was flat that he decided to make homemade rockets so he could shoot himself into the air in this in these rockets, see the curvature of the Earth, and then parachute out of the rocket and float down to safely to earth there was a movie made about him by the same guys that that made the documentary american movie which if you haven't seen is also a great great film but i'm blanking on the name of the documentary they made about mike hughes but he basically is just like his whole goal was i'm gonna build a rocket shoot myself into the air and then see that the earth is flat i'm gonna get high enough so i can see and surprise surprise he fucking died yeah his, because he's an idiot what happened to him was so predictable that the sheer chaos magic power of the universe not allowing something so predictable to happen should have actually helped him succeed. Mm-hmm. It's almost like shooting yourself in a rocket into the air is a bad idea. If you're dumb enough to think the world is flat, you should not trust your rocket building skills. That's the like the the quintessential fulcrum that's so funny to me about all of these people 
because all those these flat earth, all these um, conspiracy theory buffs, but specifically flat earth people, they all conduct their own scientific experiments. They're all interested in science to the degree that they're buying, you know, whatever hyperbolic chambers and building rockets and doing all of these kind of like high school level experiments to try and prove that the earth is flat, which is so bizarre because they're literally doing the same experiments that were done hundreds of years ago. It's kind of fascinating to me that they they use science, but they don't believe science, but they need science. So they have this weird snake eating itself thing. It's really weird. I mean, that's 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 the overarching meta narrative of all conspiracy theory. All these people sitting there typing their fucking rants about how we're being lied to by scientists on their phones that were invented by the literal exact scientific principles that they're saying aren't real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, if you don't buy the hyperbolic time chamber, you will never be able to train enough to defeat Frieza. It's true. Or you'll never be able to come out of it in the Thundercats comic book miniseries, The Return, where they just ripped that whole storyline off and Lionel was in one of those for like 15 years and he comes back and Third Earth is just run by uh, our boy Mumra. Make Thundara great again. How did Sargent get into it? Just how exactly does one become the head of a weird regressive movement like this? Well, Mark had always been a fan of conspiracy theories. He had always liked researching and learning about them. He wasn't necessarily a true believer, but that was beside the point. It was a hobby. He was a self-described fan. I just want to drill down to this for one second. So in interviews, when he talks about conspiracy theories, he always uses the term, oh, I'm not a fan of that one, or I'm a really big fan of this one, or blah, blah, blah. And he he purposefully positions it as an innocuous fandom, a pastime, a thing he was interested in for fun. He doesn't believe all of these things. He's not a crazy person. But this one, he really think it, it the, the facts back it up. The facts are blah, 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 blah. So are you ready for it? Are you ready, Andrew? The way he positions his belief in the flat earth theory is... That shit's caving. In a very small way, I understand the concept of that. I think a a lot of us have similar experiences in a completely more innocuous way where you kind of like ironically get into something and then... Before you realize it, you like genuinely are into it. And it's like this weird slippery slope thing where you were genuinely into it from the beginning, but you were kind of telling yourself that it was ironic. And then eventually you just kind of like before you realize it, you're like, oh, shit, like I'm in this. I thought I was just joking around, but I'm deep in this now. And that's why he positions it that way. But it's usually for us, you know, it's usually like music or early 2000s hard rock emo punk rap rock band it's usually or whatever till the day i die yeah i mean he's it's the same thing that we were talking about a little while ago of kind of creating permission structures where he's creating a permission structure for the audience that is listening to him espouse deeply ignorant views to understand and build empathy with him so they will be more open to the bizarre claims that he's about to make because we all have something that we were just kind of interested in and then we kind of got sucked in a little bit more and then we found an aspect of it that really connected with us, which is the, the, the narrative that he's building in order to leverage the platforms that he's being given by these larger media companies or online portals. So he's it's all it's all very calculated. Does it work? Is it 
you know, not completely transparent? Of course not. Like, it's just, it's super blatant what he's doing, but it works for a lot of people, apparently, unfortunately, which is a terrifying thought. More people than you'd be comfortable with knowing. He was living in Boulder, Colorado, around about summer of 2014, when he started to research the Flat Earth Conspiracy. And to his surprise, he found himself sucked in. The pieces of info he found actually started to make sense to him. He posted a video entitled, Flat Earth Clues Introduction. For 20 generations, people believed that the Earth was round because there was a globe in every classroom they sat in. There was no proof. Hundreds of years went by, and still civilization had no way of proving the theory. Planes were invented around 1900, but until 1957, nothing could go high enough to give a true perspective of where we lived. And that's when everything got strange. The United States and Russia both sent up rockets high enough to take decent pictures, and what they saw scared them a great deal. How do we know they were extremely concerned about the sky? Because the US and Russia immediately started firing nuclear weapons straight up, and they kept firing for the next four years. A few things to keep in mind here. First, this was now 1958. Nuclear weapons were very expensive and hard to come by. These also weren't those nominal yield 20 kiloton toys we used on Hiroshima. This was high kiloton to low megaton, and we couldn't get them up fast enough. And the strangeness continued in other places. In 1959, only a year into the atmosphere bombardment, 10 nations, including the United States, made Antarctica off-limits to any colonization. A treaty was put in place, and to this day remains intact. Over 50 nations now have signed off on this treaty. Do you know any treaty that has lasted that long between all industrialized nations? Moreover, do you know any piece of real estate in the world that is owned by no one? You would think at the very least one of the large oil companies would use their huge financial resources to explore this region, and yet they don't even petition the idea. The short version of the discovery is this. By 1958, the military had discovered the very solid upper and outer edges of our world and had to create a way to put up do not enter signs without looking obvious. It was tricky, but if there is one thing I have learned about the authority, it's that nothing is left to chance. Most of the work had already been done for them, so their job was primarily in the details. The sky part of the dome was much higher than commercial air traffic. The only thing they had to worry about there was the space program, which was immediately militarized. The outer border had the natural benefit of not only an extensive ocean, but a scaling decrease in temperature and a steady increase in iceberg frequency to discourage ships, all leading to a permanently frozen landmass that could not be used for any form of agriculture. This ocean and ice layout had worked well for thousands of years because the technology of the current civilization didn't evolve quickly. Sailors avoided cold weather seas whenever possible, and oxygen levels get low enough to harm people, even on high mountains. The brilliance of the design comes in the simple fact that human males are corrupted by power. Corruption so total, in fact, that they would rather hide the world itself rather than risk their power on it. You could theorize that kings and popes were told of the world a long time ago. Maybe an ancient scroll or book. Perhaps an interdimensional being told the tale of what the world looked like. 
But this was all but dismissed because even the most powerful leaders of the day couldn't reach the Goro from Mortal Kombat? <laughs> what chance did the general public have? It's one thing to be told of the giant impenetrable dome, but it's a whole different animal when you I, finally stand this. right I next to it. I can't take anymore. I can't do then it anymore. Then the tough decisions have to be made. This is just so like, I don't know how anyone looks at this and it's just like, yeah, totally. I don't, I don't know, man. I was, it was kind of turning me. I got to admit. If you hadn't stopped, how, how, I think I might have. You might have gone to the dark side. Ugh, it's just, it's not even like, because the way he positions it is like, I did a bunch of research and I found out all these facts and I couldn't reconcile them with what I knew. So I made this video and the video went viral. And that's just kind of not what that is. Like that, the video that he made, like the story, the, the, ret, the retcon of the story is not what that video is. The video is just kind of like a guy fucking around in iMovie being like guys conspiracy theories facts that aren't actually facts but just sound like cool things to say and like without spoiling this I guess his his big thesis is that the earth is flat and that we're under some sort of giant geodesic dome and the earth was created by some other dimensional being probably god or Goro from Mortal Kombat. Or Goro from Mortal Kombat. Or or maybe As aliens. he insinuated with the, with the slideshow image. It's so weird. It's so weird. And it's so outlandish that I think it... It's it, so outlandish that it's the basis for a wide-spanning series of science fiction novels, video games, and other assorted media. What is it a basis for? Discworld. Terry Pratchett. That's the the whole thing. Is oh, I've never read. I've never read those. They're they're the whole shtick is that they're flat. The whole shtick is that the Earth is flat and it's sitting on the back of four turtles. What a world! No pun intended. I just I can't even get over that. Yeah, it's it's interesting though because it, it it is really it it is kind of going back to the thing I said about the algorithm where I was just like you know you click on one video about some fucked up conspiracy theory or even somebody just talking about a fucked up conspiracy theory not even necessarily saying it's true but just discussing it and suddenly your whole suggested page is all these videos about that and just kind of how terrifying it is to imagine a dumber person being in your position and how easily they would get sucked into it it's a similar thing with this where it's terrifying to imagine a dumber person watching this video because you can see how it really would hook somebody we've talked about conspiracy theory stuff before and we both have a recreational interest in them but this is the this type of video is totally the type of thing that i would eat up like five years ago i would love this i would watch all of this guy's videos and i would text people and make fun of him and i would love it i wouldn't believe any of it but i would love the videos like that Goro, the thing, like that Goro image of the alien god who created our geodesic dome Discworld thing, that would totally be a meme that would catch on in my friend group. Like we would all, like between you and me, we would, we, that guy would become a running bit in our everyday lives. But now because things are so sinister and ignorance is running so rampant and rational thought for some bizarre reason is being demonized. It's not funny anymore and it's not fun. That's scary. Yeah. Yeah. It's not fun. It's just like even like that's kind of the thing is like the flat earth thing is like conceptually the most innocuous of any of these conspiracy theories because it's like who cares? Who cares if people think the earth is flat 
it's not and it's not in theory dangerous for a bunch of people to think this like who gives a fuck but the principle of it in the context of everything else that goes on in the world now and this rejection of rational thought is it just it's even this is just very anxiety inducing like the the element that he talks about in there of like and the antarctic treaties remained for 50 years why has no one gone to antarctica ever that's not true that's not true. People have gone, lots of people have gone to Antarctica. Lots of people. It's not this weird secret edge of the world. Like, that's not true. And like another one of his main talking points is like, scientifically, the human eye cannot see the curvature of the earth because it's, you know, bullshit math by bullshit math by bullshit math. If that's true, then why do HD cameras now have the ability to see beyond the curvature of the earth? Maybe because the curvature of the earth is a lie, which also is not true. Like that talking point that he always says, he says it in every interview of he gives all these bullshit, this bullshit math equation and then says the HD cameras can look at a horizon and they can see ships, you know, beyond what should be the curvature of the earth. That's not true. And just to break down the information behind exactly how that isn't true, uh, we're going to take a look at a couple things here. The first thing is an article which delves into the mathematics behind this idea of the long distance photography that flat earthers, you know, like Mark Sargent claim proves that the earth is not round. And the, you know, essentially the idea as we've been talking about is that these long distance photographs that have been taken would be physically impossible if the earth was round because these objects photographed would be hidden behind the curvature of the earth. And they trot out these complicated math formulas. But this really breaks down the mathematics behind this. And it both explains the real math behind how this phenomenon works and also explains how the math being used by the flat earthers is not correct. Uh, and I'll, I'll link this in the show notes uh, so you can take a look at it yourself. One of the few proofs given by flat earthers of a flat earth is that of long distance photography. They claim that long distance shots like the one below should not be possible on a sphere that's the stated size of the earth. And so this is proof that the earth is flat, but is it really? We'll take a look at the math and science, what even the photographers themselves have to say about it, and see what the truth is about this world record longest distance landscape photo, which is quite possibly the best evidence flat earthers have for a flat earth. And this photo, which is what all of this argument is centered around, and it's a photograph that, at least at the time, I'm seeing conflicting evidence on whether this is still true or if it ever was true. It's claimed to be at the time the world record holder for the longest ground to ground line of sight photo ever taken. And it was 381 kilometers or 237 miles from Mont Canigo in the French Pyrenees Mountains to the French Alps. And it was taken by Marc Brett. And uh, basically, it's a photo that shows sort of the silhouette of some mountains in the foreground, the mountains that the photographer is standing on. And then it shows, you know, kind of a very compressed area of... I guess water it's the the sea i guess or maybe it's i'm not exactly sure what's in between this but then on the far horizon somewhat obscured by fog or clouds um you can see mountains on the horizon and that those are the french alps 
is this image proof of a flat earth? Flat earthers say this shot would be impossible on a spherical earth and that the mountain should be hidden by various amounts depending upon who you talk to. Certain flat earthers claim the mountain should be hidden by 60,000 feet or 18,288 meters of the earth's curvature. Should those mountains really be hidden by a full 11 miles? That's a huge amount and would be hard to explain away. So where do we get this number anyway? Since the flat earthers just state this number and do not explain where they pulled the number from, we'll have to take an educated guess and explain where most flat earthers get their numbers. They love to use the Earth's curvature calculation of eight inches per mile squared, as stated on Wikipedia and other sites. That is the approximate drop of the Earth's curvature of the distance we would be dealing with for visualization purposes. Over longer distances, the formula creates an infinite parabola, but that is irrelevant to the shorter distances we're dealing with. So using this formula and the specs from the image, we actually get a drop calculation of 50,368 feet. So the calculation of 60,000 is close enough to not quibble about. So are they right? And did they just prove the Earth is flat? All they proved is flat earthers can't do math. All this proves is that flat earthers are either dishonest or can't do math, or possibly both. The first error made is that the height of the photographer and the subsequent increased distance to the horizon created by this was not taken into account. Fortunately for us, the photographer documented this in quite a bit of other interesting information. This image was taken from the gigantic elevation of 9,251 feet, or 2,820 meters. To not take such an enormous amount of elevation into account when saying how much of the target should be hidden is a typical flat earth tactic to make their position seem possible to the gullible who aren't going to or who are unable to delve into the minute details of this subject as we go into here. Obviously, distance to horizon increases with increased elevation. Ironically, this distance decreases based on the math of a sphere the size of our planet, so we'll take that into account in a moment. Their second error is simply using the incorrect formula. When we look across our Earth, we see the line of sight distance and not the pure drop of the Earth. While the pure drop of the Earth is part of the calculation, how much of the object is obscured by the curvature of the Earth is actually what we need to know, and this is a more complex calculation. In this case, using the calculation given by the photographer, the amount that should be behind the curvature of the Earth using standard refraction is actually 12,477 feet, or 3,802 meters. That's 20% of the amount alleged by the flat earther. What we are interested in knowing is the refracted hidden amount that is outlined on the calculator. Note the huge difference between the pure drop and the refracted hidden amount that we are looking at. A difference of almost six miles. No wonder flat earthers are confused when they see these long distance shots and think the mountain should be six miles lower than it actually is, due to using the wrong math. That still means that our image should be 12,477 feet behind the curvature though, right? So the earth must be flat because we see mountains. Not quite. We still have to see how high the mountains are. So. How high is the farthest mountain in the image? Again, fortunately, the photographer has given us all this information. As you can see, the furthest peak is also the highest at 12,687 feet or 3,867 meters. However, the curvature of the earth is such that 12,477 feet should be behind the curvature. So that means that we should see 201 feet or 64 meters of the mountain. That's a far cry from the mountain being 60,000 feet behind the curve. But obviously the mountain shows more than 210 feet of elevation. So should flat earthers do a happy dance and declare victory? Not quite yet. While we certainly see that there is more than 200 feet of elevation, it certainly isn't 12,000 feet of elevation either, as we should see if the Earth were flat. So what is going on here? One thing that we did not take into account yet is refraction. Refraction is the tendency for light to bend and to project objects upwards onto the sky from their actual position. Flat Earthers love to say that refraction is just something that globetards invented to pretend curvature exists when it doesn't, but refraction has been noted for thousands of years by sailors and people who live by the sea. 
These long distance photographers are extremely aware of refraction and plan to take these photographs when the weather is favorable for refraction in order to see distances they could not otherwise see. In fact, the website this image and the other quote unquote world record long distance photographs are on has a tutorial on refraction. And you can see that many of the photographers take pains to go through the many comments from flat earthers and address how they take advantage of refraction and that these long distance shots are not an everyday occurrence. In fact, the photographer himself even proved that this image is due to refraction because he shows his world record shot that was taken just before sunrise, then he shows this shot below that was taken just a few minutes after sunrise. Both shots are taken from virtually the same place, just a few minutes apart, that you can see that the refraction has been drastically decreased such that the mountains in the background are almost completely invisible. Below is a comparison shot of the two images matched as closely to the same vantage point as possible with the horizon and the line of what looks like a line of rocks on the water marked in red. So there's a there's these two images side by side. The original image, which shows the mountains and is the image that's used as by flat earthers as proof, and then there's an identical shot that's taken at a different time uh, when refraction is less optimal. And basically, the image looks the same. It's that same silhouette of the mountains close up, the long stretch of the sea or whatever that is. In the original image you can see the outline of these mountains, you know, somewhat obscured by fog really clearly. They're very, they're, they're very large and looming on the horizon. Um, but in the second image, it's identical except for the lighting because it's a different time of day, but those mountains are basically gone. You can see like just a tiny little bump which seemed consistent with this idea that without the refraction in incorporated, you'd be able to see much less of these mountains behind the curvature of the earth. And that, you know, the, the amount of the mountains you could see in that original photo are because of this photographer specifically taking advantage of refraction. Note the mountains we could see quite clearly in the first shot are no longer visible in the shot just a few minutes after sunrise. This is exactly what we'd expect on a sphere the size of the Earth with an extra bit of refraction from what the photographer calls refractive favorable circumstances. That refraction was present is evident by the photographer's own observations and experience. Why is 275 miles a world record? While flat earthers will complain that refraction doesn't exist, despite the fact that photographers plan for it and intentionally use it to get great images that they could not otherwise take, the real question is, why is a 275 mile image the world record longest landscape photo if the Earth is flat? If the Earth were flat, these types of photos would be everyday occurrences. Flat Earthers will tell you that we can't see further because of environmental conditions. However, this is nonsense and the image below is proof. And it's a, it's a photo of the sun setting on the horizon. We regularly see the sun and the moon set on the horizon and according to flat earthers, these celestial bodies are at least 3,000 miles away and only 30 miles wide, yet we can see them easily with the naked eye under all but the worst environmental conditions. If we can see the sun set on the horizon, we should be able to take a telescope and see mountain ranges that are 3,000 miles away in the same direction. Since the environmental conditions that allow us to see the sunset obviously allow us to see objects at least the same distance away as the sun. The environmental conditions argument for not being able to see further is just more flat earth ad hoc reasoning to explain away a provable inconsistency in their faith. And the second thing is a YouTube video that was created by Oliver Kralos, who is a project scientist in the Department of Earth and Planetary Sciences. And basically what he did was he took a different image that's used by flat earthers. It's not the same one, but it's one that was taken from Point Doom in Malibu to Mount San Jacinto, which is 122 miles away or 197 kilometers. It's not quite as far as this other photo, but basically what this scientist has done is he, he takes this, this modeling software that he created that has this model of 
California or specifically this area of California to scale everything distance out exactly the way it would be. And he can change the model to be a globe model or a flat earth model. So he essentially models out what the specifications and the calculations of the earth, if it was a globe versus what the projected specifications would be for a flat earth. And he recreates the photo taken in this software. And then he shows the differences between the photo taken on a globe versus a flat earth. Check out the video in the show notes if you're interested to see the video and see the actual software and what it looks like. I watched a really interesting documentary the other day. It's about people who subscribe to the theory that the earth is flat and it's fascinating. Uh, it's called Behind the Curve. It's on Netflix right now. I put a link in the video description below and I recommend watching it. After having watched the movie, I did some background research to learn more about flat earth theory and round earth skeptics and I was particularly intrigued by several experiments that were conducted by skeptics to falsify the theory of a round earth. Since 3D visualization of earth science data is my bailiwick and I had some data lying around, I wanted to test if I could recreate this photograph using 3D computer graphics and therefore falsify round earth theory. Now let's overlay the actual photograph with this rendering in order to see how similar they really are. And as you can see, it's about as spot on as it gets. Uh, I would say down to the pixel, so that's fantastic. So what gives? Does this mean that the, does this prove that the Earth is flat? Well, I wasn't exactly honest earlier. Uh, I forgot to mention something, and that is that this viewer program here can use both a flat earth model and a round earth model, and we were doing this whole thing in round earth mode. Now let's go back to point doom uh, and see what it looks like when I use a flat earth model. And whoa, okay, that's amazing. Uh, that is a huge mountain, and you can see that by just changing this back and forth, uh, we are suddenly seeing about approximately 2,400 meters more of that mountain. This would be what that photograph should have looked like uh, using a flat earth model. So what does this all mean? Um, does this prove that the earth is round? No, it does not. Um, flat earth theory also made a prediction, namely that the mountain when photographed from this particular distance should look like this, but then in the experiment, the actual photograph, it ended up looking like this. So that unfortunately did not work out. It just means that flat earth theory has uh, has some explaining to do. Like it's, there's all these things where it's just like, you just say not facts aggressively enough and present it as wrapped in science and a lot of people will be like, I, I don't, I mean, is that true? I don't know that. I don't know. Like, watch, I'll, I'll do it right now. This shirt right here, if you mathematically broke down how much it weighs, actually, if you just magnetized this shirt, it would be so heavy, it would crush my chest. Because you see, when you magnetize a shirt, you multiply the atoms by 52 by 43, which is 10 by, and then it will crush your chest. Which is, that's like all of their weird pseudoscience jargon is just that. It's like unrelated statements, things that have literally nothing to do with each other. But if you just say a string of numbers, there's a certain percentage of people who will be like, yeah, interesting. So this shirt, if it got magnetized, would crush my chest. I probably shouldn't wear these shirts anymore. 
Like it's just yeah. I mean, and beyond beyond even your ability to comprehend what that means, I think I think it's I think it's hard for people to wrap their minds around that, and that's why people have such cognitive dissonance trying to understand how conspiracy theorists believe these things. It's almost like the reverse of the Dunning-Kruger effect. There's a thing called the curse of knowledge. Curse of knowledge is a cognitive bias that occurs when an individual communicating with other individuals unknowingly assumes that the others have the background to understand. For example, in a classroom setting, teachers have difficulty teaching novices because they cannot put themselves in the position of the student. A brilliant professor might no longer remember the difficulties that a young student encounters when learning a new subject. The curse of knowledge also explains the danger behind thinking about student learning based on what appears best to faculty members as opposed to what has been verified with students. So this this idea that at a certain skill level and, and level of knowledge of something, you can't put yourself into the frame of mind of somebody who isn't as knowledgeable about it. So you can't relate to their perspective and you you can't even fathom what it would be like to not understand this thing that you understand. So you so in almost in this weird counterintuitive way, sometimes people with very heightened levels of expertise on a subject are actually bad teachers because they lack like a, a weird skill empathy or something. But it's 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 that it's like you can't even fathom believing in something like this you can't you can't wrap your mind around how somebody could believe these things and so i think for for a lot of people you don't grasp the severity of these things you don't really understand how big of a problem it is because you just can't wrap your mind around it but that would be the opposite of what happened in the real world he put out this video and it, it kind of like obviously he was a part of the flat earth community before the video came out but this this video is kind of pointed to as the like straw that broke the camel's back and it kind of i don't want to say it went viral but it 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 served as a rallying cry and then over the the next couple years you know this basically all of this early stuff is happening in like 2014 2015 and then basically from then till now the flat earth movement has just like ballooned and it has thousands and thousands of people who now believe it um and you know his this video this flat earth clues has like 1.23 million views or something like that um i just wanted to read this for just a second this is the like about page on his youtube page um is just so fascinating to me we are inside a truman show enclosed world thousands of miles wide question mark this is part of a series of videos that will show not only it is possible but likely mark k Sargent. Growing up on South Whidbey Island, Washington, Mark Sargent started his career playing computer games professionally in Boulder, Colorado. From there, he spent the next 20 years training people in proprietary software. In 2014, he looked into what is no doubt the strangest conspiracy ever called Flat Earth Theory, and through extensive research, discovered that it wasn't so laughable after all. In 2015, he released a series of YouTube videos titled Flat Earth Clues, which delved into the possibility of human civilization being inside a Truman Show-like enclosed system, and how it's been hidden from the public since 1956. And then this is what makes it even weirder to me. That's all perfectly normal things to put on an about page by an ignorance-peddling snake oil salesman conspiracy theory douchebag. What's crazy about it is he then put his personal email address his personal cell phone number, 
and his home address. Yeah, that's that's not something I would do. I specifically got a P.O. box so that people couldn't come murder me. And then, you know, when we were prepping to record this, Andrew and I had a long discussion of should I reach out and ask Mark to be interviewed on the show? And ultimately, we decided not to because that's kind of the the trap that everyone falls into, right? Is they, they're like, we're going to bring on an expert and have Mark Sargent and this guy debate. You're speaking lies to power, basically. Yeah, exactly. And, and you're, you're, you're making these both, both sides of these arguments are legitimate when they're just not like he's not correct in anything he says. He's a liar. He's a snake oil salesman and he's mining all of this for internet clout and money and peddling ignorance and actively setting back global culture because this isn't just him it's not like he's just some sideshow freak in a corner with a fucking cardboard box like he has thousands and thousands of people who are invested in this movement and it's radicalizing people and it's really weird and anti-science and scary and right now he's the fucking figurehead for it um and so we ultimately decided after having a kind of you know a a conversation that we were not going to have him on the show specifically because we, like Andrew just said, did not want to contribute to lies to power, um, that paradigm. And instead just kind of talk about him and hopefully shed some light on this really fucked up, scary thing that's happening and say, this is not cool. None of this is right. And hopefully, um, we all have, um, better ammunition going forward when discussing this with inevitably the people that are going to come up in our lives that are going to believe the earth is fucking flat, which it's not. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a, it's a real complicated uh, paradigm because, you know, if it, it, you could look at this in a certain way and say that even though we're not having Mark Sargent onto the show, we're still implicitly validating this. And just doing this episode, we're still, we're, we're implicitly giving it power by acknowledging it. This, you know, goes from a fringe conspiracy theory that no one takes seriously. And it's just kind of this made up LARP that people are doing. But then whenever news organizations and podcasts and things like that start talking about it, then it's like, then you are manifesting it into reality by and giving it power. So there's that perspective that you can look at it as. And if that were true, then maybe it would be irresponsible for us to be doing this. Maybe we should, maybe nobody should acknowledge this. But the issue with that and the reason why that doesn't work is number one, people are going to talk about it. It's just going to happen, even if we don't and do it, this. And, and it's already happening specifically in the digital world. Like social media apps are aggregating and catering to these people. There are, there are Facebook groups with hundreds of thousands of people in them. That believe in the flatter theory and it's just growing and growing and growing exponentially. Yeah, you can't, you can't stop that machine. There's no way to, there's no way to stop that machine. It's gonna happen. People are talking about it. And also this kind of wasn't how it used to be, but now these conspiracy theories, when left alone and allowed to grow and fester, instead of just remaining this fringe thing that a bunch of just weird people kind of believe in for fun because of the power of social media they become these movements with massive followings and real life consequences such as a guy fucking dying or somebody walking into a pizza place and shooting at people because they think that there's like a child trafficking ring in the basement in theory 
in an ideal world, what we should all do is collectively ignore these things and don't acknowledge them because then you're giving them power. But specifically because of the intervention of social media algorithms, that is no longer a way to deal with these things. Now we are forced to confront them. And I think that if we do ignore them and we do try to do that thing that seems like what we should be doing, the whole don't feed the trolls thing, they're just going to get worse and worse and fester and grow. So now we're put in a position where we have to at least attempt to inoculate this misinformation with counter information. I'm not trying to inflate our importance or our role in this thing. I'm not talking about us specifically. I'm not talking about just deep cuts, but I think it's all of our responsibilities to have these conversations publicly out loud, even if it doesn't seem like it's doing anything, even if it doesn't seem like it's having any effect, even if it goes through one ear and out the other, even if we're preaching to the choir and the people who are going to agree with us already agree with us and the people who don't agree with us are not going to agree with us. We kind of all, because of the unstoppable infernal machine that is the social media algorithm and the way that it interacts with these belief systems, we are forced into a situation where it's now kind of an imperative for us to all talk about these things. Which is exactly what didn't happen in 2015 when all of this started. Like his video comes out and then it kind of spawns a bunch of imitation videos and kind of like Mark Sargent wannabe influencers, which then gets built out into like this weird interconnected web of like the flat earth 2.0 movement basically, which then gets grown exponentially more on Facebook primarily through algorithmically built groups. Like that's where the, the videos were the kind of like inciting incident and then the groups and them being suggested to people who might be, you know, um, interested in conspiracy theories or specifically flat earth stuff. Uh, that, is where everything really coalesces and everybody starts talking to each other. And basically over the course of like 18 months, there's just this new corner of the internet that's just all new flat earth things, which is really fucking weird because it's not just even like, look at my flat earth video of slideshow of uh, Goro pretending to be an alien creating a fucking globe world. Like there's flat earth dating apps. Like there's one called flat earth singles. There's another one called flat earth match. And then there's also one called Flatter, F-L-A-T-R. Like, it's a literal I'm whole ecosystem. Yeah, of course you are. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a Flattered Singles man myself. Um, but it's just like this whole like crazy fucked up ecosystem of ignorance peddlers and people preying on the 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 types of people that are involved in these subcultures. Like the company that started Flatter. Um, also has other dating apps for climate deniers and anti-vaxxers, which is just like, it's a company that's actively helping to propagate the spread of bizarre, dangerous ideas. And you know, that they and don't, and you know, that they don't actually believe in any of this bullshit. They're just, they're just capitalizing off of a corner of the market that they've discovered was on the table for them to snatch up it's like it's like any of these you know a lot of these conspiracy theories are propagated by these youtube channels that were created by these people that are just spouting a bunch of bullshit misinformation that they either made up entirely whole cloth themselves or it's something that was as a result of like several generations of a telephone game that started off with something inaccurate and has just snowballed to something completely 
unrecognizable, but still just as untrue. But then there's also a lot of these websites that post these articles about conspiracy theories and things. And the really malevolent thing and the scary thing about it is it's just clickbait. They, they don't actually believe in these things. When these, these sites that share these conspiracy theories and this bullshit natural news stuff and all, all, they don't actually believe in it. They've, they've created a business based on tricking idiots into clicking on stuff. I can tell you from direct insider experience, that's a hundred percent true because I have worked at companies where we've had the conversation of it would be a gold mine to create a vertical around conspiracy theories and market conspiracy theory content to conspiracy theorists. And we would print money with this. I've worked at companies where that idea has been floated around, but everybody was sane enough to be like, no, we don't want to, I don't want to go down that road. Let's not do that. I don't want to like 10 years from now feel like arms dealers who are like selling guns to the Nazis or whatever. But that's a, a rarity, I'm assuming. There are hundreds of media companies run by skeezy schemer dudes all around LA and the Bay Area who are just like, what, you know, what, what is a thing we can do to like get people to click on shit so we can make ad revenue from programmatic banner ads? They don't believe in any of it. And that's, that's what's even crazier and sadder and scarier, at least when the source of the information genuinely believes it. It's like, okay, this is really fucked up and not any better, but at least there's some kind of purpose to it. This person is like trying to spread a message that they believe in, but there's just a bunch of these shitty little companies just trying to make some money. And in the process, they're contributing to this post-truth dismantling of reason and a belief in an objective fact-based world it's it this is is this is a perfect time to talk about the like big turn that all of this happened like i don't know that mark Sargent would be as famous as he is or infamous as he is without the 2018 netflix documentary behind the curve that was kind of like a big legitimizing thing because it wasn't just a guy making youtube videos it was a full-on documentary pointing at him saying this is the guy We'll, we'll talk about it in a second. Let's let's listen to the trailer for the documentary. First time I ever heard about the Flat Earthers was, I think, when I was in space last. I can't believe I'm talking about this. I was well-versed in just about every conspiracy you can think of. Chemtrails, 9-11. Did you know they made up dinosaurs? I completely solved the JFK assassination, which I'll share with you a different day. And then Mark said that he was a member of the Flat Earth Society. And I said, oh, no. Mark, what are you on to now? This. This is what it is. Excuse me. Anyone ever told you the Earth is flat? I caught his smile and he wasn't buying it. Nobody wants to admit that they've been fooled, but it's happened to every one of us. If you look on Google Trends, it's like spike. There's now flat Earth dating sites. I mean, we've got songs. Why is it expanding the way it is? Right. If you get online, you'll see so-called evidence that seems scientific, and you go, huh, maybe they're onto something there. Science is having a problem combating what we're doing because they don't know how to address it. I want to believe this. This doesn't mesh with reality, so don't change my view. Change reality. Now we're doing an international conference. It's okay to believe all this is really happening. In a conference, we want to prove there's no curvature. And if we can do that, it's game over. 
Can we get to the point where it's accepted? Bro, we went from last week talking about the act of killing and look of silence to the greatest nonfiction films ever made to having to deal with this fucking Yahoo and his piece of shit Cracker Jack documentary. Like, so basically the, the documentary is kind of what you think it is. It's a fairly surface level kind of tries to remain sort of equidistant from the subject matter and, and paints a portrait that's kind of falls into everything that we've talked about previously about people depicting the flat earthers as like not raving lunatics who are actively going to fuck us in some way that we haven't yet quite figured out. Um, it's just like, you know, the, the, the end of the documentary specifically is all about kind of how do we, how do we embrace these people who are obviously inquisitive and how do we, how do we teach them the real scientific method and, and, and hopefully build a bond with them and help them to understand that their beliefs are not accurate and how do we encourage their inquisitive natures and we can all just get along, which is, I just don't think that works. I don't think that works. I think, and I don't, I'm not necessarily advocating for like shouting people down. I'm not advocating for like taking people that have bizarre, idiosyncratic, wrong beliefs and like stoning them to death. Like you can think whatever you want to think, but when those beliefs become conjoined with virality and mass propagation and dissemination of incorrect information, it's a very dangerous proposition. And I think attempting to approach that as a conversation with people who just want to know more is naive and ignorant in its own way because they don't. At this point, everyone who is a flat earth person and invested in that digital community, it's become a part of their personality and it's a part of their identity. And there is now an us versus them approach that they have to these conversations that isn't going to be cured with just like a fucking science experiment of pouring vinegar in a homemade volcano. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of literature that I've that I've read and then I have a bunch of stuff that I have saved that I sort of intend to get around to reading um, around how to interact with conspiracy theorists and the right way of um, establishing discourse. And a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the literature from psychologists and, and um, just other sort of experts on conspiracy theories and conspiracy theorists a lot of it sort of points to this idea um that the way to convince somebody is not through punitive shaming this idea of like you're not going to win any war by getting into an argument with somebody on social media and being like you're a fucking idiot like you're such a fucking dumbass for believing this how gullible can you be you're so stupid and this idea that the best way of approaching it, and I'm simplifying it because the way that they talk about these things is a little bit more multi-processed and subtle, but th is this idea of essentially talking to them, asking them about their beliefs, and then, like you said, going back and forth and discussing the things and presenting counter information, not in a hostile or condescending way or a, like you're obviously wrong kind of way, but just being like, oh, well, so you believe that? Well, how about this? Like, for instance, oh, so you you think that there's an 
underground evil satanic cabal of Hollywood elite pedophiles that are trafficking children and drinking adrenaline glands from their bodies to maintain their youth. And the we- the reason why you believe that is because you've seen that all these different high profile celebrities and politicians were registered as having flown on Jeffrey Epstein's private jets at some point. And then you have all these pictures of Joe Biden and Lady Gaga and Jim Carrey standing in these like sort of Masonic looking rooms, standing in front of giant tables with big vats with like barbecued human bodies in them with like blood sauce. And they're all standing around the tables and smiling and there's pictures where they're like eating the fucking meat, the flesh from these dead mutilated bodies. And you believe it because of that. Well, does this change anything about what you believe about this? If I were to show you that this is the Jeffrey Epstein flight manifest that was a leak to the public. I'm kind of repeating what I've said on another episode. I've said this already, but for the purposes of this argument, would it change anything for you if I showed you that this is the Jeffrey Epstein flight manifest that was leaked to the public a few years ago. It's all 200 pages of it. This is the this is the original source document. And if we go through this and we read this, we can see that these names are not actually on this. The the names that have been added in these like photoshopped memes that are spreading on Facebook, they've they've put these names in specifically of outspoken liberal celebrities and politicians. And, you know, if you actually go back to this original document, I'm not trying to tell you, you know, whether or not you like or dislike liberals or Democrats or whatever. But just looking at the facts, if we look at this document, you can see that their names are not actually on here. And then in terms of these photos, once again, not being condescending and being like, you fucking idiot. These are obviously photoshopped. Like I could do this in 10 minutes, but saying like, Well, actually, you know, here, you know, see, so this picture of Lady Gaga standing in this room in front of this vat with his body and she's like licking blood off of her finger. Actually, if you reverse Google image search this, you can actually see the original image where they've actually taken this picture of Lady Gaga from a a party, like an after Grammys party. And you can actually see that they've taken this picture and they photoshopped it into this other picture. And you can look at them and you can see that they're they're identical. Like this is the same picture that's been clearly used. And so that that that's sort of the idea behind that is that's the way to approach it. I don't disagree with that at all. The issue being that's fighting a forest fire with a super soaker. Yeah, exactly. There well there's there's that there's a couple different things. There's number one is that kind of discourse is very hard to have on social media. The separation, the the sort of like anonymity of being behind a computer typing into a box. Very rarely can you get into a situation where somebody is willing to have that back and forth conversation with you. It usually very quickly evolves to like, you're a sheep. You're a fucking idiot who follows mainstream media. Fuck you. Like, it's rare to be able to even have that conversation on social media. In person, that could probably be a lot more practical. But number one, these conversations typically don't happen in person in the first place. But especially now when, you know, who's out there fucking socializing with a bunch of flat earthers. So it's difficult to even get to the point of even having that conversation. And then once you get there, you are by definition, having that conversation with an individual on a one-on-one basis, you might as well 
piss on a forest fire. You could say that you did your part and like turned one person. And in the grand scheme of things, you at least did that. But is that really going to affect anything in the macro scale? Because I've definitely done that. I've definitely gotten into back and forth arguments with people on social media about these things. And I've actually put that time and effort into like not being a condescending, you know, jerk that I want to be because you're it's so blatantly dumb and wrong, but exercising the patience to have that back and forth. And I have genuinely gotten people to be like, oh, shit, you're right. This isn't true. But it was exhausting. It took a long time and it probably meant nothing in the grand scheme of things. Uh, Before we move on from the documentary, I just want to talk about three things about Behind the Curve. Um, One of them is that Mark Sargent, they film a lot in his house and in his little like den where he records his podcasts and his um, YouTube videos. And over his desk, he has a big Alex Ross painting of the Justice League. And when I saw that, I was like, fuck, giving us all a bad name. Fuck. God damn it. Not all of us comic book nerds are crazy ignorance peddlers. Fuck. Second, in the film, Mark Sargent has this friendship with this woman named Patricia Steele, who is another kind of flat earth influencer type. And we could do a whole episode on her. She's so bizarre. But they have this really weird energy to their friendship where they're like kind of flirting and like he's always joking about how they're going to start dating and then she talks about how they're going to start dating and then it's so it's such a weird like negging thing between the two of them where they're like it's like a tantric relationship where they're just like in a long distance thing where it's obvious Mark Sargent has a thing for her and she like either gets off on that he has a thing for her or actually does have a thing for him, but is not interested in the long distance thing. It's just so weird. They're, and they're this- the will they won't they prolonged tension for all of the fucking Goros who are watching the <laughs> the Earth show. Bro, is that the that's the name of the, the new Flat Earthers? They're called Goros. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean they they she to- they totally are the Sam and Diane of of the Goro community. And it's it's so weird too because like fucking Goros. Fucking Goros. Like at one point in the documentary he You just got to you know what you got to do with Goros? You just you full Johnny Cage and just punch him right in the dick. Fuck yeah. And it's so weird too because he like sh- he'll he he makes like a bunch of random comments during the course of the movie too where he's like he shows up in Texas to go do something with her. I don't remember what it is. They're going to go on a trip to go to the NASA museum or something in order to kind of troll people at the NASA museum or some shit. I don't remember. And he's like, what am I doing in Houston today? I'm here to win Patricia Steele's heart. No, I'm just joking. We're going to go to this thing over there. Blah, 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 blah. And like, it's just so like, bro, you're not stealthy. Like we all know that you have a really sad, weird puppy dog thing for her. And it does not make you look cool. Like, this is so strange. What is this? Like, you're a 40-year-old man, but you, like, have, like, a crush on this girl. Like, just, I don't I don't mean to be shitty, but just either say, hey, we should smooch. Or, like, talk it out so we can just be friends and there's not this weird tension. Stop trying to find the edge of the fucking world and just get a wife. 
Yeah, for real. Like he's going to turn into somebody. I guarantee you he's going to turn into somebody like that fucking T-cap guy. What was Xavier St. Eric or whatever the fuck that guy's name was? Xavier Von Eric. Yeah, like that guy's going to... Mark Sargent is going to kiss a girl at the age of 55. And he's going to be like, oh, yeah, I don't care about any of this. I just want to keep kissing a girl. The, the 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 ultimate conclusion of the movie being this whole like brotherly love thing was just like ah this is not the way to combat virulent ignorance. Ultimately, what the fuck is the point of all of this? Who is trying to cover up that the Earth is flat and why? Well, luckily, a NASA scientist asked the same question on Australian TV May twenty first of twenty nineteen. I just want to do a thought experiment here. So I think we would probably agree that a good cover up uh, would involve money, right? That someone sure. is paying to cover it up, right? Lots, lots of money, yes. Right. So then people would then profit from this cover-up, right? I think that's kind of... Uh, profit in a way, sure. Yeah, right. And then so we would say that NASA is complicit in this to some degree. Uh, and oh, so yes, they would be the beneficiaries that. of this, right? Um, in, in this case, we're not covering up for profit. We're covering up for power. So, yes, well, NASA money. would be built. And, and what, what I'm saying is the only reason NASA was even built, and by that we're talking about the United States military, NASA is absolutely Department of Defense. Uh, NASA's actually they civilian, are, by the way. You can get a job with NASA. Uh, you know yeah, that, right? No, no, I'm afraid not. NASA's I'm afraid so because I've worked Department for them. Defense. Look, fine. Like, so no, no, can I just, I just want to finish my line of reasoning real quick. So then if, if there is money involved and then people are yeah. paid for it. Now, if I am saying that the Earth is round, which I very much do mm-hmm. because I've seen the photos, and the moon and other things, then sure. where's my money? Because my 2008 Ford Focus and my mortgage would disagree that I'm profiting from this. He's even wearing thongs. Yeah, I can't no. even afford pants. <laughs> what, what you're saying is the cover-up was, would involve millions and millions of people, and I go the exact opposite. I'm saying compartmentalization need to know. This is one of those things where less is more. You would absolutely keep the fewest amount of people involved. 99% of all the people that are working at NASA don't know anything. They polish capsules and they build fuel systems and they build rockets. The only guys that need to know are the telemetry guys and those guys above them. Scientists, pilots, all the space agencies, except for the high, high brass, they don't need to know anything. But I, and by the way, NASA, made, not, NASA gets a budget of 52, what is it, $52 million a day? I think it was been up to $54 million a day. There's money to be had here, but it's not just about money. Well, but someone has to be making it. So, so I guess one of the points here is what I'm trying to make is that, mm-hmm. you know, we can always go back and forth. You cannot believe what I'm saying, and that's fine. That, that's not the point. Sure. What the point is, when we do in science, we create experiments that are reproducible. I can go out and tell anyone when a lunar eclipse is happening, and you can see that the moon is going to look curved. You can see that as the shadow passes over the moon, it is not flat. It's actually, there's an edge to it. I can say, you know what, for 500 bucks, you can buy an off-the-shelf balloon, a tank of helium, and attach an iPhone or a Google phone, but sometimes the Samsungs catch fire, um, that you can see the curvature for yourself. But you haven't given me an experiment that I can do to show what you're saying. Okay, let's start off real quick. I don't know how much time we have, but let's let's run them down real quick. Long distance photography. That'd be the first one. It's the most obvious one that flat earthers jump at, which is the curvature. Sorry, what? We just saw an image on screen that I took that shows its it's curve, but continue. Oh, got, got it. Uh, let's say the uh, the curvature of the Earth is what mainstream says, which is eight inches per mile squared. That's not supposed to be daunting. It's eight inches per mile per mile. 
which means that three miles is three times three, which is nine is 72, and 10 times 10, it goes further and further toward 50 miles, you're talking about almost 1,700 feet of curvature. And that's you're looking forward and back. Don't, talk, don't look about left and right right now. Forward and back, which means that a boat should go over the curvature of the Earth. It goes behind the curve. It should be gone and gone forever. And yet, and I would have been totally with you there 10 years ago, but HD technology has changed that to where we can see objects way, way further. We can see objects over the hill. And don't start up with mirages because we can see these in all weather conditions, all light conditions, almost all uh, distance conditions. We can target them with beam radar, we can target them with infrared, and we can destroy them with military technology. I have have experts that will testify this, to this effect. We can do this all day long. That is a test you can absolutely do on the ground. You don't need space to do it. Did you, do you see what I'm saying about like this weird, he just like strings together a bunch of numbers and then it's just like, and that's how it is. Yeah, and it's like, oh, I guess I'll, yeah, there's, and it's like, going back to that thing I said about like, it's hard to, f- the burden of knowledge or whatever, uh, you know, hard, it's difficult to wrap your mind around this, but because you couldn't, um, like, you, you couldn't imagine, like, I can't imagine hearing that and then just immediately believing it, like, at the very least without going and like doing research to see if anything that he said me- meant anything. Or if that idea that you can see like a ship behind the curve of the earth with an HD camera, like I, I I can't fathom anybody not doing that. But there is some percentage of people who would watch that show and just based on that, they would believe it. Completely. 100%. 100%. And when I was doing the, the research for this, I even was like watching some of these things and I was like, I don't know how you come back at that. Like, I don't know how, like, if someone said to me the, you know, mile by mile squared, you know, is three and then, you know, time nine and then you curvature of the earth, blah, 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 blah. Then why can we see beyond the curvature of the earth? I wouldn't just inherently know that that's wrong. So I wouldn't, I literally wouldn't know what to say in that other than I did exactly what you're talking about, where I was like, he says this talking point all the time. Is this true? And no, it's not. I, I looked it up and also watched multiple interviews with actual mathematicians and actual scientists just saying, like, I don't know where this Mark Sargent guy gets these this idea Wait, that Dave, you, HD you, cameras can do this. You don't trust a guy who played pinball enthusiastically as his job? I want I want to believe. Boo, 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 boo. Andrew, are you Scully or Mulder? Which one of us is Scully and which one of us is Mulder? I mean, just literally about believing in paranormal things. Which one of us is the cute redhead and which one of us is the person who has a sex addiction? <laughs> I, I mean, you're just describing both of us, man. <laughs> All this time and we've never heard him give his views in his own words. Maybe there's something to that. So here he is. So mainstream science will say that you live here. Ooh, props. You have a prop. I know, right? I, I was not t- aware I, of this. I have two this props. was not cleared by security. <laughs> no, we didn't. We didn't script this. Uh, that you live on a little rock flying through space in multiple directions in an impossibly huge universe and that you're insignificant and you don't mean anything. We say differently. We say that you live in a flat enclosed system like the ancient cosmologies have said. Mm-hmm. You know, years and years, hundreds, sorry, centuries ago, if not millennia ago, and that 
there may be nothing outside of this. All the stars and the sun and moon are on the inside, and you are incredibly significant. You are incredibly important, incredibly special. There's a theme there. And, but there is a catch. And, and again, every flat earther, which might attach to some of your questions, which is, do all flat earthers agree on exactly what this looks like, the dimensions and all the fundamentals of it and the physics and the engineering? No, not at all. There's massive dissension in the ranks. However, what everyone can agree on, which is why I use that Scottish Highlands reference, mm-hmm. everyone in the flat earth community, again, can agree on one thing. It's like, it's not this. There's something wrong with this. There are way more, and you're a big writer, there's way more plot holes in this than there is this. And if you, you know what, I'm getting ahead of myself as far as why it resonates. You have the stage. Go for it. Oh, okay. Well, why, why it resonates? Why, why, why am I doing so many conferences? Why, why am I even here? Why did I just do that television commercial in Australia? Why all these things? Uh, because we have now created a way of explaining this that's easier than this. And you're saying, well, yeah, but that doesn't mean that it's right. And it's going, well, Sun Tzu, the art of war, people are like water. They always take the path of least resistance. They always will go for the easier thing. And because of that, it has resonated. We, have, we use very little mathematics, very few physics, although we do memorize a lot of basic things. And that's how we see it. That's not what that quote means. That's not what that quote means. Also, is he just, is he just like hiding in plain sight that this is all just bullshit because like, like that's what he's saying he's just like the reason why people believe this is because it's dumb and easier to comprehend and so people just flock to it and also that is literally not what that quote means that that people are like water they take the path of least resistance is that's supposed to be that's a that's a quote um about leadership uh, about presenting a plan of action that or controlling an environment so you funnel people into what you want them to be or where you want them to go not what he's saying of just like people just you know they're like uh they're just like easy to manipulate that is not what that quote means that quote is specifically about building an environment in order to manipulate people into doing a specific thing which is ironic because that's literally what he's doing yeah, I mean, there's there's a read of this where you're just like, this guy is so fucking dumb and unself-aware. And then there's another read of this where you're just like, this is some Andrew WK level kayfabe. I was asking that of myself the entire time, especially when he keeps talking about like how he always talks about like fandoms and I'm not a big fan of that one. or I'm a huge fan of this and like he's so and especially in that documentary behind the curve, like he's so invested in being the figurehead of this thing and it's both him and patricia Steele. they're obviously and specifically patricia Steele, though they they're both obviously people who were not loved didn't receive attention in in ways that they wanted to receive attention and they now have this environment that they can create an echo chamber where they're the main piece of the they're the main attraction and they both really really like that and look I think you'd find very few people who, if they were given their own pulpit, would turn it down. I think everybody wants to, on some level, be viewed as a commodity or be viewed as a leader or be viewed as something that's worthy and exciting and uh, be viewed as a figurehead. Everybody has some desire of that somewhere in them, whether that's just, I want to attract a mate or I want to um, 
run a business or whatever, whatever the thing manifests as everybody wants to be loved. Like they're, they're, or I want to, I want to spill my heart for you until the day I die. It's both understandable to me why someone would embrace this fanatical culture as a means to an end of building an audience for themselves and also deeply repugnant. So if he is just grifting these people, it's almost even worse because it falls into that flatter flat earth singles world. Yeah. But I mean, he's, he's sitting there. He's literally, I mean, he says the people, it resonates because it's easier to, to, to understand. And then he's also saying this thing about like, we're saying like people are saying that, you know, we live on this globe and we're just, you know, floating meaninglessly through space and we're saying that you're more special than that and it's like number one that is like just the textbook 101 rhetoric of conspiracy theories of like why people buy into them is because it makes them feel like they're more special than they are and they have trouble processing random meaningless chaos and so they have to formulate into 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 patterns and make themselves feel like there's some kind of grand design for why everything's happening and also, like that is just such a like weird movie character cult leader thing to say of just like, we're telling you that you're more special. Ultimately, the fact that he thinks these things or pretends to think these things says more about our culture than it does about him as a person. He's the symptom, not the cause. So many people marvel at his ignorance and idiocy as a gleaming diamond. Very few people ask him why he is the way he is. And it goes back to the performative idiosyncrasies. He wants to be loved and marveled at as a unique sunflower, probably because he's a bland white dude in board shorts. However, he and all his friends are winning. They're conscripting an army of buffoons that are going to permanently reshape our world. In fact, there's a pretty good case to be made that they've already won. Hey guys, uh, this is Andrew and Dave reporting from the future. Uh, a couple weeks after we originally recorded the Flat Earth Movement episode, uh, originally we were going to end it there. But we talked a lot about this idea that, you know, we didn't want to give a platform to the sort of figurehead of the Flat Earth Movement, Mark Sargent. And, you know, we discussed this ethical idea of giving power to lies and all that stuff. Well, turns out we couldn't resist and we ended up reaching out to him and we did an interview with him because honestly, there were some pressing questions that we just had to know. We had to have the answer to them. And, you know, we were weak. Very weak, but at least we got some interesting answers. And with that, I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. And I'm Mark Sargent. Mark, thanks for joining us on the show. Absolutely. Ask me anything you want. <laughs> All right. So the first question that I feel like is on the minds of every human being on Earth is, is Mark Sargent a Deftones guy? Or a Chevelle guy? I'd have to say Deftones, although I didn't own either of those, any any albums from either of those sides. I was more an electronica guy. Oh, okay. Uh, I was I was electronic early, because remember, I'm older. So I was into anything that was electronic, the early stuff, like uh, Depeche Mode. I owned so like all their stuff. Eight, and so then, I'm sorry, what? I was going to say, like so 80s, like electronica stuff? Like yeah, that's that's when I first got into it, and then Devo Craftwork. Yep, yep. Thomas Dolby. Um, oh God, um, Howard Jones. Even the Thompson Twins made some interesting electronic stuff. But then, then the the '90s came in. And I got into um, Lords of Acid, Praga Khan, 
you know, really, you know, industrial house music type stuff and kept me going for quite a while. If I was trying to be mellow, I listened to like Orbital, basically anything, anything synthetic. That's really what I was into. But that, but then again, I played games for a living. I played computer games for a living for, for a company. So that's, you either listen to really edgy. I mean, if you were listening to Black Flag, you were listening to, you know, to some sort of electronic stuff, you know, unta, 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 <laughs> that sort of stuff. Right. So, I mean, that being said, do you, do you feel uh, totally betrayed by whenever Daft Punk made the song Around the World? Was that a complete <laughs> betrayal to you? You know, you are the first, and I have done a lot of interviews, you're the first. I hadn't even thought about that song. Absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. That's a, that's a great one. Although, the, when, when the Netflix documentary came out, I know they didn't have a lot of money. Um, the the song you know they did their own original track for the opening track but the, the song I really wanted them to use um, people say oh you should use like Owl City um, uh, you know the um, Fireflies mm-hmm. song because yeah. it has those lyrics but no I thought um, World World in My Eyes by Depeche Mode I thought that would have been awesome mm. that would have been a great song but no crap <laughs> yeah it's good I'm I'm now just picturing like uh, both. Uh, Daft Punk guys taking off their helmets and they're like the Goro dude from your Flat Earth Clues <laughs> video. <laughs> are you are you familiar with the because both the Chevelle Seeing Red video and then some of the Deftones videos were pretty popular at that time? Are you familiar with both of them? Vaguely, but I, think, I mean, I, I, I think well, we gotta I, show them to you then. Yeah, like, we, I think we, we gotta. gotta, we gotta show if you. you're okay with that, like sure, I feel sure, like. Sure. We, and then you can kind of like almost do like a director's commentary of giving your opinion of like which one was better or which one was worse. Okay. Um, All right. We got we got the red by Chevelle, which was their big their, their big, big hit. Single. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Even if even if you don't know it when you hear it. You know it. Uh, yeah, that yeah, that was there. What year was that? When this that was came like, out? This was like probably two thousand five. Yeah. Yeah. That was just when, yeah, very yeah. When when I that was when I was first in fact that's when I first went to Boulder, Colorado to play video games. And yeah, some of the guys in the in the gaming groups were playing this stuff in the background. Yeah. yeah I did but, not know the name of that song, but there you go. Yeah, this is definitely like Game, like music you would drink Mountain Dew Code Red and play video games to for there sure. There you go. <laughs> yep. Um, I mean, if anything, I feel like Chevelle gets serious points just off of the sideburn length of oh, the yeah. lead singer. Look at that. Like, Look at that. Look at that. His sideburns go down to his neck. Like, they're on his those neck. Those are some fine sideburns. Whatever happened to those guys? I don't know. They kind of like were, they were like popular for a minute and then I guess yeah. they kind of you know that happens unfortunately yeah they had they had so another single um that was it was called send the pain below yeah. um which is another song that like if you heard it you'd be like oh yeah i remember hearing that in avon's um <laughs> yeah i mean again when, when i was doing when i was doing this stuff i was no i'm sorry 2004 wasn't when i when i first got to boulder that was when that was when I was starting to do um, on the road software installs. I was, that's when I was teaching proprietary software. So that didn't surprise me at all because when I was on the road, I was on the road a lot because I never got married and had kids. And so I missed a huge chunk. So this wasn't, this wasn't, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to take back my earlier statement. This wasn't when I was playing games. This was when I was literally just traveling 
all the time. I was doing, I was the guy in um, Fight Club. You know, oh, the, Tyler Durden. Yeah, 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 the single serving guy. Yeah, I yep. was. I was that was what I was doing all the time for for a, a number of years. Yeah, so you you, you wake up, you miss you this woke whole up at era. Yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> you miss this whole era on your nomadic life. Yeah. yeah travels. Um, okay, so 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 we have that, and then this, this is a little earlier. Deftones is like, I mean, Deftones had a much longer career. I mean, they're st- they literally just put out an album like a week ago, um, yeah. but they were a little earlier. This is more early 2000. So like. Okay. I forget exactly when my own summer came out. Um, I'm not a huge Deftones historian, but I think it was like 2001 ish. Yeah, and this was used in a number of things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, totally. For sure. This, this was, was yeah. I mean, uh, um, movie. Uh, in fact, was this used? Um, were, were they used in um, either of the Red movies? Oh, they might have been. I'm, I'm not sure. Wouldn't surprise me. Good stuff. Yeah, I like it. Using There's Transformers? There's no music that I hate. <laughs> I'm really open to a lot of different media. Um, yeah. You know, I'll listen to, I, you know, I've listened to country, classical, Jazz. Um, although I got to tell you, um, Mexican accordion music. There's only so much of that I can listen to. <laughs> the like, and it's, it's not. No, it's nothing against Mexico. It's like, man, put down the freaking accordion. <laughs> hot take. Hot take. Huge anti-accordion not, guy. Yeah, not into accordions. Not <laughs> <laughs> of authentic Mexican music. Hey, I, I mean, the, I, slow, the slow stuff is fine, but you know, the dun, 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 dun. Oh, this drives me nuts. So, you know, I feel like both of the bands that we just saw, well, like they have very... Hold on, Dave, hold on. So let's, okay. just, let's just say this. Yeah. In the context of what we've just talked about, between the two songs, rate them each on a scale of one to ten Mexican accordions. <laughs> and this is this is kind of a trick question because 10 Mexican accordions is the worst score. The the fewer Mexican accordions I think they is both the get better. they they both get 3s then. 3. That's solid. So it's it's a, solid. It's a pure tie then. It, yeah, I mean they're they're very I mean both of both those songs are very similar in my ears. Yeah. So I no I, I but I like both of them. I think they're good. I, I could listen to it in the background of something. Probably have. Now, do I think they're inspirational? Eh. <laughs> not, not as much. I mean, if you listen to any of the stuff, like um, like uh, the the songs they use for my podcast, like the intros and the outros, um, like the intro to my, real quick, um, this will give you an idea of my musical taste all over the place. Um, Londinium which was the intro track for a recent King Arthur movie. Uh, Fluke, Absurd, uh, Peaches, Operate. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Uh, American Soviets by CCCP. That's from the 80s. That was like one of the early Soviet bands. Yeah. Um, Aaliyah by Donny Iris. That goes back to the 70s. That's how that that's, that's like the, my fade to black song. 
uh, you know, I'm, I'm all over the map when it, when it comes to music. I don't, I mean, literally, if you listen to my iPod, uh, you'd probably be like, oh my God, needs to be admitted to some sort of psychiatric ward because I am, I, I don't even know how you would decipher it. <laughs> uh, well, you know, the, the, the bands that we just uh, watched those videos of, they both kind of have very iconic uh, visual aesthetics and fashion choices. So yes. I was wondering if I could just kind of ask you some some fashion questions that are, is tangentially related to this genre of music. Sure. So first of all, Mark, have you ever owned a pair of skinny jeans? No, but I own I own some Dockers. In fact, I'm wearing some Dockers right now, which might be considered, but they're kind of flexible. They're they're um they're that weird fabric. So it's not. De- I have not. I gave up denim entirely when I hit 40. For whatever reason, I woke up and I said, you know what, I'm not going to do denim anymore. And I got rid of every pair of jeans that I had and I only wore slacks. It totally dates me, I know. But I was like, it's like, yeah, I've done it. I've done jeans forever. I mean, I was one of those guys that I remember when, um, you guys aren't old enough to remember, the, uh, when Levi's 501s first came out. And a few people, cool kids in the school, and then all of a sudden, everybody was like, if you weren't wearing 501s, you were poor. You were probably wearing Wranglers or something, some local off-brand, some generic brown bag jeans. And uh, so, no, I have never owned actually a pair of skinny jeans. I only owned um, Levi's 550s or whatever, and then finally I just settled into Dockers. Not, Not because of the brand, I just like the way they fit. Uh, Mark, have you ever owned a pair of cargo shorts? Probably. I grew up on a beach. I, I live up on an island up in the Northwest of the United States. And so I owned a lot of different shorts over the years. In fact, there were a couple summers in high school where literally entire summers where I didn't wear shoes. You know, kind of like your Cal and you say, well, that happens in California all the time. Yeah, but not in, up in the Northwest, it doesn't. And I mean, where I was, you know, walking on driftwood and, and my feet got really callous because I was getting splinters from driftwood all the time. But yeah, I didn't even wear. But so, yeah, I probably did. Probably uh, did. You know, uh, you you seem to wear a lot. It's funny you, that you said bring up the lots of shorts because it seems like you wear shorts frequently in the behind the curve. Uh, well, we, we shot. We sh- yeah, we shot the early part during the summer or the when it was nice out. I mean, when it's really nice out up in the northwest and by that anything above 72 <laughs> right uh, people would wear shorts i mean you just oh we, we you've got to i mean it's it's a running joke in seattle the first big sunny day of spring everybody takes takes the the, the day off from work you call in sick because you don't know when it's going to come again mm. yeah, we have mm. 220 overcast days a year up here this being one of them <laughs> so anyway what's your uh, what's your favorite brand of shorts favorite what brand of shorts uh, i don't know if i you know what? I'll tell you. Hang on. I'll, I'll go grab a pair. Favorite pair of shorts right now would be um, Pebble Beach. Pebble Beach. Yeah, Pebble Beach. Pebble shorts. Beach. They're, I, I think they're officially golf shorts. Um, the, who's that famous famous uh, Australian golfer? Norm something. I can't remember his name. He he makes a decent pair of shorts too. So yeah. Pebble golf Beach, shorts, basically. Golf shorts. I, I like golf shorts. They're they're comfortable. They're they're a nice relaxed fit, and um, you know they uh, you can do athletic things in them. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> like like yeah, golf. Yeah. yeah. I guess are, I wouldn't. I don't think I'd windsurf in them. I used to windsurf back in the day. Are golf then, shorts? Then I was wearing swimming trunks. Are golf right. shorts above or below the knee? 
I don't. I never. I don't, just above. Okay. So yeah, the, those. Okay, I, I I get it now. I, I yeah yeah. They're not like NBA shorts where yeah. they just keep getting longer and longer and longer. When like when I was playing basketball back in the day, I mean the shorts came down. They cut off like right below the pocket. So oh yeah, you know, it was yeah totally yeah it's that, a complete that John Stockton look maybe <laughs> yeah we were showing a lot of thigh back in the eighties. <laughs> it was basically guys running around their underwear. Not so much now. Uh. Mark, have you ever owned one of those shirts? They're they're like they're button ups, and they've got like flames on them, and sometimes they have dragons or like moons. No, you know what I'm talking about? no. The closest I ever got was when I was um, I was captain of my corporate bowling team, and I had some some pretty flashy Hawaiian shirts. But that was yeah, that was the most. No, I'm I'm I have not. I don't own a lot of flashy um, t shirts or anything like that. What are your thoughts on those? Like, I feel like a lot of the guys in the bands from this era had those. They were like, I took a piercing on the soul patch area, but it's just like a small metal spike that like wiggles and wobbles when you talk. I I think those are bad life choices. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody look, you want to do a piercing. It was it was almost like that was the era when people were just it's like, how can we no offense to, to piercings in general. But people were just going, let's, what else can we pierce? You know, and, and, and I was one of those guys where it's not like I was a purist or anything. I still do to this day don't own a tattoo, but not because I'm against tattoos. I could, because it's permanent and I couldn't figure out a symbol or something. You know, we all know the jokes, the Norman Rockwell thing where you get your girlfriend's name, you know, on your shoulder, you know, and then you have to cross it out and put another one and another one. I never could find a symbol or anything that that I wanted so badly that I wanted to put on me permanently. Well, it's not too late to get one of those like wobbly spike things. No, no, no. It's never too late. (laughs) What, so people can stare at it when I'm talking? No. (laughs) So similar to Andrew's question about, you know, a sliding scale, how spiky of hair do you like lead singers to have in bands on a scale of one to three accordions? Well, it... That's that's really a great question because I know that women next to um, height, that is one of their big things when it comes to guys is they love, they love the straight up freaking hair. You know, the, the bigger, you know, just a freaking Jonas brother, you're just a wall, just straight freaking up. And all your your cartoon characters that over over exaggerate that, you know, the characters, I mean, it's 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 got to be eight inches you know, straight up. I mean, look at, um, oh, what was that cartoon character back? Johnny Bravo back in the day. I mean, it's ridiculous. And all the, the, the ones like that. So, um, no, lead singer should have. I mean, if he wants to be a success, he's got to have freaking three accordion monster hair. <laughs> I feel like three accordion monster hair needs to be a new meme. That's an like early 2000s rock band name. <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is. Yeah. Three accordion monster hair. Um, speaking of hair, have you ever had... Uh, I guess it, I'm assuming the answer is going to be no based what? on your previous answers. But have you ever had emo bangs The like, you know, the, the comb over bangs? I had a flat top for a number of years because I could get away with it. Uh, I loved, I loved the Billy Idol look from uh, that he had from 1980 until 1987, 88. I mean, he just rocked it. Um, but... Yeah, no, no emo stuff. No, I didn't really mess with it that much. It was, it was either Arnold Schwarzenegger flat top or it was Billy Idol. Gotcha. And I thought gotcha. I, Billy Idol was just a great example of of what you could do. When I when I was a kid, uh, because of that 
clothing brand uh, Bad Boy, which had a little drawing of like a cartoon character that had like one of those flat tops, like an Arnold Schwarzenegger flat top, or maybe even like a uh, a uh, you know like a Ken or a Guile from Street Fighter type thing. Yeah. And so that was a popular clothing brand. And then at, there was this barber shop. I was with my dad for the weekend, and I was with my two cousins, and there was this barber shop, and they were giving bad boy haircuts, and it was just that. It was just doing a flat top. <laughs> and yeah. we got all trumped up on the idea of getting bad boy haircuts. So my dad took us in and we all three got these haircuts and my mom freaked out. Really? Yeah. She freaked out that I did this and like she was really mad at my dad. I wasn't like allowed to go back there for like a couple weekends. Weird. Yeah. She was so mad that I came home with this like guile from street fight <laughs> flat top hair. Yeah. She would be in the minority. What are your thoughts on wallet chains? Ridiculous. Unless you're a longshoreman. Okay. If you're a longshoreman or someone in the construction industry where a wall, you losing a wallet is actually a possibility where you could actually fall somewhere where you're never going to get it again. Yeah. That's one thing. But in fact, again, the wallet chains were invented. They just stole that from the working from the blue collar professions. I mean, that was, that was a fixture in the, in the heavy, heavy industrial sector for years and years. And then it's like, oh yeah, let's do that. Cause it's very butch. You know, it's, you know, the thicker, the better, you know, get and get an oversized wallet to boot. I didn't know if there was any money in it. <laughs> I, I know mine definitely didn't durable. have any money in it for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, have you ever uh, have you ever grown a beard that could be deemed as like a grungy metal beard? I'm, I, I'm some of these questions are like, well, I already know no, the no, answer no, before no. I ask it, but I feel like I just gotta. I guess no, gotta no. Do it. Well, it's it's bad for me. I don't even like camping because I've never gone more than three days without shaving ever. Oh wow! You never I've, you've never I've gotten ne- you never gotten like super depressed and just been like, fuck it. No, no, it is it is it is that is freaking church for me. Because I, I don't drink coffee. I've never had a cup of coffee in my life. Never had a tattoo and um, never texted also, but I'm older. Um, but I'll email. So when, when I get up in the morning, I have to, you know, without a shower, I'm worthless. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm completely off. And that's part of my routine is, is shaving. So no, and I never had that fascination where some guy's like, man, I wonder if I'd look really tough with a mustache, you know, and do a whole Tom, <laughs> Tom, Tom Selleck thing. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually, no. so, that's actually something yeah. you have in common with Dave because there was this one time because we've been doing this podcast for a while. We we recorded we we recorded like ten episodes in in a in a podcast studio before all the shutdown stuff, and since then we've been recording just from our houses. And so I we haven't seen each other in a while, and also we record kind of casually in our you know we're just recording from home. So if I'm you know not actually wearing pants right now, it doesn't really matter. Right. Uh, and one, so one time he had a little bit of stubble and I like, I like <laughs> yeah. triple took because I've literally never seen him without a clean shaven face. <laughs> you know, but by the way, let me comment on that also, because I know he, there's a real paradox <coughs> with the stubble with a like two or three days stubble, which is you've seen this in movies and television where g- women, you know, they prefer, they like the look of it but they only like the look of it. They hate the feel of it. You know, it's like they let, you know, it's like looking from a distance, like, oh yeah, it looks really tough, right? Do not like getting close to him. Will not kiss the guy. 
you know th- that's so weird but but yeah so i mean that, I know that's basically that- no that's basically the reason why i i shave consistently because when i don't my girlfriend's like ah your face it's like a cactus oh no i i got one up on you there i was dating this girl that made me shave twice a day what oh yeah 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 she would make me shave in the afternoon before dinner you know if there was gonna be any romantic anything you know, she's like, no, 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 stop. And she was right because if you're kissing longer than twenty minutes, you're you're gonna you're gonna friction off everything. It's gonna be awful. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, it was it was it was a rule. <laughs> it's like get in there. Damn it, shave it off, shave yeah. it off, Mark. Shave it off. It's like it's hardly even there. It's like you know, she'd do one of these. It's like nope. And she's right. I mean, like right now. Oh yeah, I wouldn't want to be part of this. Be bad. Uh, in your opinion. Is emo music an actual musical genre, or is it just a pejorative description of a scene surrounding a collection of varying genres, including post-rock, post-hardcore, alt-rock, and pop-punk? It's the latter. And I'll throw in that, in my opinion, it's the most relevant form of emo is emo porn. How's that? I, I Hot takes. It's, it's, there's no... Emo is a meme. For me, that's all it is. That's all it's ever been. Uh, I have, you know, I it, plus I was older, so I never got to experience, you know, going to clubs and running into emo girls really ever. An emo, I've never seen an emo guy in real life. But then again, you know, I don't live in you know a major city where sure, yeah, and I don't. There wasn't a, there wasn't a big emo scene in South Whidbey Island or Seattle for that matter. I mean, if yeah, if I went to Seattle and maybe hung out till two a.m., but by that time, you know, I was older, so. I, I wasn't going to be doing that, <laughs> but no, no emo, no, no. I, I in fact, in fact, you haven't. I haven't even heard the emo term in probably a couple of years now. So that's what, that's what we're here for, Mark. We're here Thanks, to service the thank needs for, of the thank people. Thank you for bringing that back up. <laughs> yeah, really yeah, great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we're going to show you one more music video. Okay. This lead singer is like so much older than I remember him being. Yeah, he does not look like he sounds. This is like one of those songs that I that I almost guarantee has been used for some sort of teen movie. For sure. <laughs> if not one of the American Pie series. It's got it's one definitely the, got the, that that teen soundtrack vibe. Yeah, totally. And not, Which is funny because you know, he looks like he's like 55. Way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, seriously, I listen to this and all I'm, all I'm seeing in my mind is, is montages with locker rooms and kids rocking down hallways and hijinks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's story of the year, baby. Surprisingly, they're still around too, which I was kind of. Like, I was really into them in high school. But the lead I singer had died a- of old age, though. They got to get a new one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, the, the original lead singer is in a convalescent home. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that teen movie we did? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, guys, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank a lot you of for, fun. Uh, um, if you need anything else or any resources or any links or whatever, just shoot me a thing. I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you. Cool. Thanks yeah. a lot, man. Really, uh, really appreciate you making the time. Mm-hmm. See you guys. <laughs> Bye. Later. Bye. Bye. <laughs> what the fuck just happened? I don't know. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. This has been Deep Cuts. 
You can find me on the internet trying to be booked as a guest on every Star Trek podcast that's ever existed to promote my book, Star Trek Voyager 7's Reckoning. And also you can find me online at heydavebaker.com. Andrew Price, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me building a rocket ship so I can shoot myself out into the stratosphere and prove once and for all that Goro is watching over us. And if you put in the, the special code, he'll bleed when you punch him. And you can also find me at dapricerights.com, where you can get my book, Deadbolt, AI Private Eye, which I'm not trying to shamelessly peddle on podcasts. Hey, man, these Star Trek comics aren't going to sell themselves. But what I'm saying is live long and pre-order, baby. Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content. The incidental music for this episode was created by D. Catalano, whose music can be found at wekeepoddhours.bandcamp.com and the Dead Boy Detectives. Woo!